if I really started to try to express everything that I feel about Jeff Mills, this would be like a 20-minute intro. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to say that Jeff Mills is one of the most inspiring and important electronic artists of the last 30 years, played an absolutely massive role in my life, and he's probably the reason that I started, that I dreamt of being a DJ in the first place. Jeff Mills is, well, there's nobody like Jeff Mills. I think he might be the best DJ in the world. That's my opinion. He's an unbelievable producer. And above all else, he's just a real artist in the classic sense of the word. He's curious. He's always pushing his own boundaries. He has fantastic style, taste, all aspects of being a creative, uh, enlightened artist the visuals, the text. He's always searching. Okay, you see, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already going on too long here. Uh, Jeff Mills is just an incredible DJ, an incredible artist. I was so happy to have him on the show. He's a friend, somebody I always enjoy talking to. And uh, I think I allude to it later in the interview, but when I was super, super young, yeah, he was kind of the reason that I wanted to uh, be in this game, that I wanted this to be my life. So it was uh, a lot of fun to sit down and have an extremely long, vivid, and entertaining conversation with Jeff Mills on Last Party on Earth. Last, last party. Yes. Yes. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? Fine, fine, fine. How are you? I'm really good. Super yeah, good. Good, 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 good to speak again. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Jeff, uh, welcome to the show. I'm really, really excited to been excited to have a chance to talk to you. Where are you now? I'm in I'm in Miami in southern in southern southern Florida. I feel like Miami is a good place to be right now. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's summertime, you know, every day the sun is shining, uh, tropical weather, you know, so the pandemic, you know, uh, was a bit more tolerable than I think it is, or was in, a, in, you know, a, a few other places. Like so, here? <laughs> yeah, maybe, perhaps. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess one thing I want to ask in this kind of particular time is, being somebody who this is for sure the most sedentary you've been probably since you're like 18 years old without the touring and the travel, mm. how, how do you feel creatively? Are you more creative, less creative? Uh, how's uh, the relationship to creativity changed with the, the change in your schedule? Yeah, I mean, the level of creativity um, and ideas um, pretty much stay the same. I mean, you know, when you when you're when you're traveling around and, and you know, you know, you're seeing things, you're you're speaking to people, you're you're doing things for the first time, you know, uh that that typically brings a lot of a lot of ideas. So I so I live between here and in Paris. And in Paris, you know, just just to walk around your neighborhood, you know, is just filled with uh historical information, you know. So yeah. um, you know, you see colors, you see shapes, you see 
things uh, that are, uh, you know, can be quite impactful, you know. Um, so creativity, the level is, I think the difference is the urgency um, to materialize ideas uh, were or is quite intense during yeah. the time. So ideas that I had maybe um, on the back burner or things I had thought about years ago, you know, the past year, uh, some of those ideas had to, had to, had to, you know, come into fruition and, oh, and yeah. uh, be materialized. So with that, a uh, certain amount of curiosity as to what our scene will be like once we, uh, you know, you know, regain the momentum again, will it be the same? Will it be different? Will it, will it, uh, will we only uh, just concentrate on what is most important again? Uh, will we, go in the opposite direction and, and become even more abstract in our thinking in terms of things that revolve around music, you know? So oh, yeah. it's uh, the only thing that I can be sure of is that, you know, music should be produced and it should come out as quickly as possible. That's the yeah. only thing that I really am sure about. So. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's such a bizarre experiment. It's a year. First of all, like you said, it's just, it's, those lists, those lifelong lists come out. And it's like, if I can't get it off the list in this year, it's never coming off the list. You know, also to add to this, I did not, I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think this is the first time that I've stayed in one place for about 30 years Yeah, for so long. And I did not, or could not have, and maybe it's the same for you. I, I could not have known how I would, would, would have, you know, what I would miss, what, what exactly, I would. Exactly, to. exactly. And, and, and actually, um, because literally for my whole adult life, I, I would go into one city, play for one night, move on to the next city, move on to the next country, play for one night, go home for two nights, <laughs> leave, you know, leave again, go here for there. Same. And, and and that and that was basically for 30 something years. And so actually, I mean, it's kind of strange, but actually it had no effect, uh, really stay, staying home because I never could ever really get attached to any one place long enough to miss it. Yeah, that's super. That's exactly how I feel. It's I mean, really I true. mean, I mean, I found I found because I you know travel so much, I found ways to uh spend time almost basically doing nothing you know i mean i mean yes. you, you know you you know you're in a hotel room and <laughs> and you, and you know or you you know you're by yourself in a restaurant and you go here and 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 you you're walking around these cities you know village you know towns and things so i i had gotten used to uh managing time doing not very much and so so there really wasn't that much difference in staying home now. I mean, I, I mean, I, I manage time. Some, you know, sometimes I'm busy, sometimes I'm not, you know, and it's not a pressure. It's just, uh, I'm just waiting. Like I am waiting for the next flight kind of really. I mean, it's, I, uh, I completely know what you mean for me. The only big, I mean, the big, big change is sleep. <laughs> yeah. Sleep for me is just it. And I realize like a, it's like a plant who spent, so many years without water that I'm insatiable. I mean, I, I can, I enjoy sleep every night as if it's the first night. I just, mm. it, it, the, the thrill has not worn off. And I'm it's here. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. I mean, you know, for the first, 
for the first uh, three months, um, like March, April, May, my body went through an incredible transformation. I mean, every illness that, you know, uh, and it wasn't uh, connected to COVID or anything, but just the fact that because I had been traveling and then all of a sudden I'm sitting more and I'm not walking as much. Mm. My hours, you know, sleep time was a regular time. And it wasn't like in the middle of the night or, you know, so um, in, in a van. Yeah. My, my body went through all types of, I mean, I discovered how bad my hearing is. I just, I discovered, you know, <laughs> how bad my arthritis and all just all types of stuff just came out in those first three months. And it took uh, all, basically the whole summer to kind of get back to, um, to a normal state actually after that. So Again, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean yeah. you spend weeks and weeks out traveling, months out traveling from here to there and uh, carrying things and walking through airports and taxis and oh, yeah, uh, Just, getting up in the middle of the night. And yeah, yeah. I even so, even talking about it, I get like almost <laughs> like I get like PTSD. Like, <laughs> It is. I think you said it really well. It's just something you've been doing your entire adult life. It, it's it's different. It's it goes so far beyond a habit. It's what you. It's your whole life, basically. I mean, it's since yeah. you're eighteen yeah. years old, you don't. And in some ways, not knowing anything else does help you in in being able to adapt. Is there any new habit that has had a, that has formed? Something new, specific you're doing that you didn't do before? New new habit. Um... No, my life was pretty, no, it was pretty simple to begin with. I mean, it was, um, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, the case when, when you're not in a place long enough, you can't develop habits really. Um, so even though I have a house here and, you know, I'm, I'm married and, <laughs> you know, you, 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 I have a life. This is where all my stuff is, my studio. Uh, I've, I've learned to, not get too, oh, I had to, you know, kind of get used to the fact that I can't get too far into things uh, because I have to leave them and I have to come back in a few months later or so I could never watch a TV show, like a regular TV show. Same, or I, could same, never, same. I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything that's going on in the TV world <laughs> and haven't for years. And I'd always just kind of have to play along like, oh, really? Like, yeah, I mean, and and uh, and so I, I always approached everything kind of uh, half, you know, halfway um, because uh, I just I just didn't want to start something and then leave it. So my life, for the most part, was kind of just skimming across the top of things. I mean, and, but even with that, I could get a lot of things done, you know. But are you doing that now? Like, did you start? No, metaphorically, no, I, are you watching the shows? Are you? Are you? Did you? No, reading? no, I'm not. Oh, no. you're still not watching the shows. No, no, I lost. I lost interest in in certain parts of, of entertainment just that's because just, that's just done, and, and it never came back. You know, right. I mean, I think I, you know, Dallas, maybe back in the 1970s Dallas. with Jr. Oh, I mean, Dallas. Maybe, I mean, maybe maybe Jack, that was the first. Jeff, you're the first. I've done 20 episodes. Nobody mentioned Dallas. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we tried to watch Miami Vice. We bought a box set of Miami Vice because my wife wants to see the landmarks here in Miami, you know. But, but we, I think we went through the first first episode of uh, Crockett, and and you know we haven't we haven't picked it up later. But I mean, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a strange, I mean, all I can say is that it's a strange life that has developed, but I'm very adaptable to just about any situation as a result. So I can be anywhere at any time and it's okay. Yeah, that's something that's something you learn on the road. I'll never forget it. I saw you at an airport once. I saw you in Madrid airport because I've told this story a few times. It's one example where I was really impressed and the, the image stuck with me. I saw you in an airport once you were sitting like I was on my way to go say hi and you were sitting there and you weren't doing anything. Like you weren't looking at a phone. You weren't reading a book. You were just like sitting there. <laughs> probably in shock. <laughs> <laughs> probably, I, probably I missed my overslept and missed my flight or something. I well, don't something know. was happening. No, you were waiting. No, you were waiting for your plane. Whatever you just and I remember just saying like, "Well, he's just he's just there." You might have well, just. Been- well, it, I mean, it happened. I mean, you 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 know, especially when you travel alone, you know, you 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 zone out. Yeah, you just you know, you just trying to get to where you need to go, and and uh, you know, you're kind of like a shadow. You know, you you yeah. you, you you develop kind of like a shadow type of personality Mm -hmm. um and you really uh notice that at night not because it's dark but in the evening that's when people are normally get get together with their friends and families and stuff but when you're when you when you're traveling by yourself it's hard to go into a restaurant or you know it's hard to go into a place where where other people are together so you so you end up by yourself in a restaurant and you know, you're not really noticed so much, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. because uh, you don't take up, you know, you're not so visible. You're not definitely, you're certainly not in the best seat in the, in the, in the house, you know? And so, so you're kind of like off the way over, yeah. there, you know, and you, you, you just, you're not talking to anyone and you don't, and you just, uh, that's pretty much the life the of traveling DJ. Yeah. I mean, you, and you, and even when you're at a club, you know, and you're totally. in the DJ, you're actually by yourself. Yeah. Unless you really reach out to, to speak to someone, uh, you are by yourself in the midst of tens of thousands of people. It's and so true. What, what's also so crazy is not only, not only do you live this shadow life, but you live a shadow life that's so different from what the others think you're living. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's, it's, it's perception, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, and and you know it's not surprising that some some DJs sp- speak about depression and th- the fact that they're in front of a lot of people, but they can't. You know you you know you are with people, but you're not really with them. They're mm-hmm. partying and enjoying themselves, and you you are there to work and to you know working. Yeah, and so you 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 have to stay concentrated. You can't you know break away and go party with your friends. You know, or uh, you know you're part of the team. You're part of the production team, so you have to. Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe people never really had a discussion, really spoke about this, but you really spend large to be a DJ and travel this much. And at, at this level, you really have to uh, know yourself and know that you are you are not the center of attention most of the time. It's just it's just a it's just a percentage of the time. And but when you are. It's overly done, you know. You yeah. the spotlights are on you, and you are in the DJ booth, and everyone's looking at you to, because you're controlling the music. And within a split second, you are by yourself, you know, in your hotel room. And and for and for maybe a whole day after that, you're traveling. You're by yourself, and you sit in, you know, on the airplane by yourself. You're 
uh, restaurant by yourself. But that's also, first of all, I have like a million questions for you. And I'm right away, this is one of them. So first of all, that's a decision. I mean, obviously, some I lean very much towards what you're talking about, spending a lot of time alone, feeling a certain separateness, a certain otherness, whether in the performance or in the life that comes with it. Then there's obviously the people that that don't. And there's the people that that make it a priority to have the giant group dinner or keep going or go to the after party for for whatever reasons, you know. Are you are you like a shy person? No. No, no I'm not shy. What do you but think I the am... reason is when you go back to the hotel? Sorry. No, but we all have our own reasons. You back at the hotel quickly alone. The re- the core reason. Uh the main reason is to get back to quiet and solitude as quickly as possible to, to let the ears uh, to move out of that, that uh, extreme sound setting mm-hmm. uh, as, as quickly as possible to let the ears kind of uh, uh, reset themselves, I guess. Mm-hmm. Some people are, you know, the Toastmaster, you know, they, they, they're the host of the party and the party doesn't yeah. start until they get there, you know? <laughs> and then once they get there, it's like, Hey, you know, um, in, in my case, I kind of learned from, that uh, the, you know the hard way. I'm not shy, but once I leave the hotel, that's when I start thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's actually when the DJ set starts, actually. And I'm thinking about the various scenarios of what's going to what you know, what it's going to be when I get there, and what I need to do with the first maybe couple of ten, first five to ten minutes. So I start thinking about that as soon as I leave the hotel. And once I'm in the car in transit to the venue, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm really thinking about this, what I, you know, the music that I have, the music that I just prepared. If someone says something to me Uh-oh. <laughs> that, that, that throws me out of that mindset, um, or if someone says something to me, that's, that's kind of offensive or, or Lord, Lord have mercy. Yeah. It throws me, it, it, it breaks my concentration. And so I, I learned to kind of just limit the amount of people that I speak to before I start. Once, once the, the set's over and I'm done, then, you know, you can insult me in doing anything, you know, but, but. So these are professional, these are basically <laughs> professional reasons. It's for, yeah, yeah. I mean, for I the mean, quality you, of the performance. Yeah. Yeah. I think you shouldn't, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I think you shouldn't have much, con- I think you can be more focused and more concentrated if you have less contact with people before you start. Mm. Um, I, I don't get nervous or uh, anything like that, but, but it's just, I, I, I've learned that, uh, some people have said something like, you know, tonight, why don't you play this? <laughs> or, or, you know, I know you're going to play this tonight. I can't wait. Or, but that's, that's the complete opposite of what you were thinking. <laughs> well, and so, oh my God. so, uh, so there's that, but no, no, I'm not, I'm not shy. Mm. Um, but I, I do tend to listen more than I speak. So that's a, I, that's a great quality. That's what I'm trying to do with this show. That's one of the reasons I do the podcast to teach. Yeah. Others. Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's, it's important. And then I, and I don't, you know, I don't speak, you know, any other languages fluently. So I, I can't get into long conversations. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not a, um, you know, um, party machine. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not, a, I mean, I, no, no, I've never been a party machine. No, I, I, I uh, I really envy. I wish I I wish I could have been. You know, I, I, like have, you, I like to hear you say "party machine." Yeah, I mean, I I, I would have had more girlfriends. I'm sure. I'm sure. I. Well, the know, thing I was, is, yeah, I I think not to interrupt. But I I think 
I think part of the DNA of a lot of DJs, especially from certain generations, it, that's where you feel comfortable in the booth. If you really felt like a total party machine, you probably wouldn't even develop all the things that are necessary to. Perhaps, um, but I know that that was for me. I mean, they have fun, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't have as much fun personally. Fun. I've heard of fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm there to get the job done. And so, you know, I, I, I'm a specialist at that. You know, I've done that in many different configurations. You know, I mean, my, my job is to get it done and to uh, make sure that people have a memorable uh, time. That's what I've always done. And uh, so so I know how to I know how to do that. That carried, you know, that carries over into other things. I, if, I, if I have an idea, I know how to plan it, make the blueprint, uh, learn from the mistakes eventually get it done. I know how to to problem solve, to um, fix things in real time, to uh, uh, to pay attention. You know, DJs develop a, a knack for observing to get information mm. and then making an, a, an assumption as to what to do next. That carries over into your normal everyday life. I have to tell you a quick little story. So I was about 18 years old. And I knew someone in Montreal who was Peter Gation's niece. Hmm. And I got a chance to go to New York City. And I went to New York with my parents staying in the hotel room. And she called her cousin or whatever and got me into the limelight. And I looked like I was about 12 years old. I was like, <laughs> I, had, I had no business being in the limelight. Um, I think it's 93. So hmm. she, she gets me into the club. She ditches me immediately. She, she sticks me in the DJ booth, okay? I have never seen anything like this. I, I bought techno records and stuff, but this is, anyway, and I look and I'm in the DJ booth and I'm like this kid, I don't know anybody. And there's a DJ and he is, I don't think anyone ever made such an impression on me my whole life. He was lit, he's small, he's fast, he's kind of badass. He's throwing records everywhere. The power is crazy. He, he's, he pulls the turntables out of the suspension, turns them around. He's doing things I've never seen. And, and he's wearing, I think, dress shoes, by the way. Um, and, <laughs> and the light man, the light man, I don't know the name. I don't know anything. The light man. Arthur. Arthur. Yes, Arthur. yes. Yeah. Arthur grabs me, okay? He's wired grabs me, picks me up off the ground. I weigh, he's wearing like a tank top. He's sweating. <laughs> I'm like, I weigh like 120 pounds. This is a little kid picks me up. He goes, do you know who that is? Do you know who the fuck that is? I'm like, I don't know. That's motherfucking Jeff Mills. And <laughs> Yeah, I think Arthur might, might, might have taken something that night. Yes, uh, Arthur's eyes were like a comic book. Yeah. The point, so, that is my kind of baptism. Now, I don't normally like, you know, I don't like to tell people when you, you know, you, you, you want to keep a certain distance, but so many of the ideas that I had and, and developed about performance and just really came from you. So on the one hand, thank you, obviously. Hmm. Um, and I guess I wanted to ask you, well, just to get started on the early days and, you know, I don't know, tell me something about Arthur. 
or tell me something oh, about my oh, limelight. Oh, yeah, he's he's like a legend, actually. Uh, <laughs> I can't get information about him anyway. This is my one yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He passed away about <gasps> uh, about, oh, no. about about eight or nine, ten, ten years ago. And um, but he, you know, he was uh, one of the owners of a very legendary club called The World in New York. Okay. And uh, and he, you know, he's from, you know, the disco Studio 54. He's from, you know, he was right in the middle. I mean, Chelsea, uh, 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 CBG, I mean, Andy Warhol, he knew, I mean, he was like literally a walking you know, encyclopedia of that area. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, looked it. I mean, that's what that was the vibe I was. Yeah, getting. and we we used to have really interesting conversations. I mean, he would tell me because I was you know I was new to New York then, so I, I didn't really um, know too many people. But and and so Arthur and I would be up there together, and he would just tell me these incredible stories about. Uh, and you know his his uh, wife was a fashion model from you know the the, the 70s and uh, just incredible I mean and and he was good friends with Peter Gation because you know they're, they're from the same era so in a way Arthur was like he he controlled the booth he 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 controlled the DJs he he was the one he was the one that would say yes or no and he was wild he so. Was wild. I don't think people know, you know, it's kind of a lost, the story of the light man, the role <laughs> the light man played in history is, is really kind of a, a forgotten chapter, especially for, I remember when I started as a DJ in the, in the early nineties and for you, you for sure, even more, your light man was, you had a relationship with your light man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's, who's it gonna was, tell, who's going to tell that story? Every residence, every every residency I've done uh, was always very close to the to the to the lighting guy. We were always together. We were all, I mean, I would give him cues yeah, as to what's exactly. going to happen in the music, and same with Arthur. I mean, I mean, um, yeah. The, the the limelight was probably the most extreme uh, DJing you know situations that I've ever. I mean. I mean, they, they, it was just heavy. It was heavy. I mean, as you know, I mean, I, yeah. I don't, I don't remember the day that, that, that you were there, but. No, don't worry. I don't, but, you didn't I write mean, it in your journal. Met, it was, it met was, a 13 year old Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was heavy. I mean, they, they, they had these monitors and, you know, normally, you know, a DJ listens to the return monitor and, you know, you, you know, you can hear what you're doing and you can mix the record. They had these, monitors that were so powerful that that the frequencies in the music would push you from side to side so if the bass got stronger it would push on the left side it would push you over on the right side so you were like kind of like on a on a on a boat kind of <laughs> and the, and, the, and so you would not only hear the music but you but the music would be pushing you around while you're DJing because the monitors were so powerful so you were literally inside the music i mean you were you were stuck floating it, it would lift me off the ground at times you know they they knew uh you know peter gation and and uh, arthur and all his team and everything you know they knew what party really means yes. you know they knew every aspect i mean they were masters at party and i've never seen anything like it i mean during the Weekdays, you go down in, into the basement of the limelight, and there would be a team of, of eight people creating 
uh, visual effects. And they would be doing that from Monday all the way till like Friday. And they would just be building stuff. And, and I would, I would go, I used to go down there and just watch them create uh, just neon type of this and special things that would twirl around and special lighting. And, and then they would bring all the stuff up on the weekend and then start, start all over again on, on Monday. It was, it was a big production. I, I'd never seen anything like that. In, in fact, that was probably the most profound uh, lesson that I learned about. Yeah, there was the party and the people at night, but then there was all the, you know, the machine that, that. For everything that was going on Limelight, in my experience of seeing you, it was pretty transformative. It, it just dawned on me that no one else could see you. Like the, the booth was so high up. That, so here's this, <laughs> here's this crazy production and here's everything happening. And that actually the DJ, not only was he not front and center on a stage, but he was almost visually, almost surplus to requirements. Yeah, three, yeah like three, three stories up. Yeah, so something like way up. Way at the top of the, at the church, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, I mean, yeah, you're really disconnected from the, um, I mean, it looked like hell, man. I mean, to be honest, when you were here, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it, it looked, and you're in this church and you see the stained glass. And I mean, it was just, it was like the exorcist, you know, just, uh, it was, it was, those are some crazy nights. And I, I totally, I, I totally appreciate that education. From, from there, you know, I, I had a completely different understanding uh, about uh, what music can really, really, really do when you when you have uh, people that are very serious about about it. And, and and there's a long tradition in New York, of course. Just the whole preparation and the whole the whole play out of the night and. Mm. And 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 I and I could see just how advanced nightlife was, and uh, watching Peter Gation and watching him watch him watch the party. He used to come up in the booth and and sit and just watch to see how you know the connection between the music and the audience. And he would maybe say a few words and then me take off. So New York limelight that period. I think that was Future Shock, right? Was the night or one yeah, of yeah. Yeah, that was one of the nights, yeah. So was that already a huge step up in terms of the size and the ambition from what you had seen, let's say, in Detroit and Chicago? Well, it's, it's of course, it's New York. Okay, so it, it was like big league. Yeah, I mean, in, in this country, in America, there's nothing, to to play in New York is is really the top. I mean, even now, I mean, I've traveled all over the world, but there's nothing like playing for an audience that is uh, very educated in music and dance music. You know, the industry is there. You mm. have you know, music, you know, record label people, you have, you know, people that have been partying for since the sixties, you know, you, you have, you know, they know music there. And so to play for that audience is always, it always has been very, very special. And, and it's, it, it remains the same now. I mean, I, I get uh, a, a little anxious, going to New York because I know the type of people that I might, I might be playing for. And it's always, it's always a, you know, a special thing. I love the idea of in that period of time, I got that a little bit in Montreal when I was just starting out in the early nineties, you had this, you just had this crazy overlap. You had the new generation, the club kids and the emerging techno scene and all that, but you still had this holdover from the old disco years. And so you really had this weird mixture. You would like, you know, like you said, people from the sixties were still kicking around and it was all mixed up and so many freaks of all yeah. kinds. And I, I, 
I think that was a beautiful time to grow up in terms of dance music. Yeah. It, it was yeah. exciting. Yeah. A lot of, and a lot of originals, you know, like real. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't realize how much it changed me until I moved away from New York. Mm. And I, I went from New York to Chicago and Chicago just seemed like everything was moving in slow motion, you know, moving from Manhattan to, to, to Chicago. And Chicago's not Midwestern. You know, not Midwestern. A sleepy town. Yeah. I mean, but <laughs> in comparison to, to living in, in, in Manhattan, it was, you know, I mean, I was walking, you know, five times faster than everyone else. I was speaking, you know, three times faster. I was working and, and, and producing music, you know, five times faster than, and so I could get a lot done because I was, I still had this momentum of, uh, of, yeah. of New York. And uh, so it didn't take long to get up, to get, to get set up in Chicago. One of the things I saw when I first saw you play and everybody knows was like speed, just straight up speed. Not, I mean, the speed of the music, but the the speed of the, the dexterity, the the physical tactile speed you were doing things. I was just wondering, like, when you were a kid, did you before DJing, was there something where you felt clearly like, okay, I'm good with my hands? I mean, when you're when you're young, a young boy, and you're in, you know, you're around your classmates and you're around your friends and stuff. You you compete a lot, you know. Oh, yeah. You in small ways, you know, who could run the fastest? Who could, who could, who could do this the highest? Who could jump the furthest? Who could? You're constantly competing, and that's what I did. And that's, that's so, what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. I, want speci- I want specifics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you 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 you're always competing. You know, he dresses the best. He's got the best hairdo. He's you know this guy. You know, he does this. He and so, um, and so to be quick, to be fast, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we used to play games when we were kids, you know, and, 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 and these games were based on the fastest reflexes, compete during lunchtime, playing rhythm, you know, we would have rhythm contest where, you know, who could play the most complex rhythm or we, we you know, you, we, you, and so I mean, you, were you, you were good back then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, was, was I it was, like I don't want to fuck. I don't want to fuck with Jeff. Oh shit, Jeff's. Uh, well, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was small. I was, I was tiny in comparison to. Uh, so, me, too. I, me too. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I could, I could, I could, I could run really fast. You know, my, you know, I, my brothers and sisters, they were all kind of athletic. My sister was on track. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I had started playing percussion and drums in about the third grade. You know, by the seventh or eighth grade, you, you know, you know, your rudiments, you know, you know, you know, you're even handed, you, you develop to be even handed, you, you, you think in terms of beats and rhythm by the, by the, by the, by high school, uh, when I entered into stage band, concert band, marching band, you know, all the other bands, I, I you know, um, adapted to all those situations of playing with other musicians and got into other bands and I was quite quick and quite uh, precise. I had developed a certain type of skill by the by my last year in high school, and I thought that actually I was going to be a drummer. I, I thought I, I I really wanted to become like a jazz drummer. Somehow, I you know DJing was you know hip hop was emerging. DJing fucked up your jazz. Yeah, drummer. and I and I and I and I and I heard that you know guys were DJing, so I <laughs> I you know my older brother was a DJ and. And uh, so I could, 
practice and stuff on his equipment and you know and I guess some of this speed and some of this agility kind of carried over from playing the drums into DJing. So I could uh, do all those hip hop DMC type of tricks really easy. I mean, I, I because I was I, I, I developed such a speed, I could not, not only do those tricks, but I could modify them to to go beyond that. You know, I was so quick that I. I mean, it, 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 it had gotten to one point that my hands were so quick that I could not, I, I couldn't, couldn't see them. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't see. <laughs> really, I mean, I mean, it was, it was, it was so quick that you I. You couldn't see your hands. You couldn't see your own hands. I, I could not see them and, and I could not, and I was doing things with, you know, hip hop and records and stuff and, and backspinning and, and cutting and, and all this stuff. And it, it, it had just developed to a point where it was so quick that I, I, I had to kind of get some control over it. I mean, I had to, and so I, I got a third turntable, you know, and and then a fourth turntable. And then, you know, I mean, I, I was so quick that I could manage four turntables back in, you know, like the early 80s, you know, I, I could. And so um, by the time I got on radio, I mean, I I was, uh, it was like a tornado. I mean, it was, it was I, I mean, I had so much uh, agility and so much speed and so much, and I, and it was and I was very precise. I could literally take apart with two copies of, of one record, you know, the same record. I could yeah. literally take it apart in real time simply by just I mean, you know, you see DJs doing it today now mm. with ease, but back then in the 80s it was a big deal because you know, the equipment wasn't exactly the same and and you know, the thinking was 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 quite different. I could do that and I I could literally remix the record in real time without making a single mistake. And, and I used to do that for radio and, and, um, is that the wizard period? Yeah, that was, that was during the wizard. And so, um, but I still, even to this day, I still, I think more like a drummer and a musician more than I do electronic music programmer or, uh, you know, musician. So I, I still want to play, I want to bang on something. You know, I want to, I want to hit something. I want to, I want to, um, get in a situation where I can be spontaneous and, and use my speed to make things happen. So that, that kind of, yeah. you know, to show that speed, there's nothing like speed in general. It, it, it helps. It helps. <laughs> what was the first record you bought with your own money? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, Come on. I don't, I never had any money. So it probably wasn't my, it might've been, um, Elton John, Philadelphia Freedom. And on the flip side, I think it might have been MSFB, uh, Love, Love is a Message, I think, or something like that. back then in the 70s and the the, the the same place where you bought your candy you you in comics you you had 45 singles so um maybe and i had lots of brothers and sisters that bought records 
So I never really had to buy okay, anything. So you didn't have to get your own. You had older. Yeah, yeah, because because I, I you know I have four I have four sisters and one and okay. one other. So are you, the, are you the youngest? No, no, no. I have, I have a younger sister, and okay. uh, but I'm the, I'm the youngest son. So oh, you're lucky. You had all these guys with cool records. Yeah. So so I have four sisters. So we had all the music, and my mother, you know, and father were very much into music. So I so the house would be full of music anyway. I think that I think that might have been like just a forty five single, okay. like a dollar a dollar. Was, was your family very supportive of like a creative career right from the start, or did they ever have some other? pressure on you or ambition for you other than that or was it like okay Jeff's into this great well I mean when, when you when you come from a big family uh there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a, there's a certain limit to what your parents can do because they you got, there's so many people in the house right I mean you oh, you know they don't, even, they, yeah. don't, they don't know the bandwidth to worry about your dream yeah I mean I mean no my my, my parents uh were tough you know, my mother was very strict. I mean, you know, you got four, four girls and, and two boys, you know, there has to be order in the house. That's for sure. And, and, you know, I have older brothers, so they kind of acted as parents as well. So my, my older brother is 10 years older than I am. So he, you know, when, when my father was at work, my older brother basically was, you know, looking out for me. So we were kind of, kind of more, kind of left on our own really we knew where we lived we knew where we slept <laughs> where we where we got our meals but you you kind of have to develop your own hobbies and find your own interest and i mean of course we we did family vacations we would travel around in the summertime and you know weekends and stuff like that and uh you know for for a large part you were kind of just left on your own you 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 would kind of have your hobbies and you would do your thing and like hobbies is it hobbies isn't even a word you hear much anymore <laughs> no, really like nobody yeah, talks about hobbies. and nobody well, talks, nobody's bored anymore and well you know something I, you know I, I i i'm actually one that complains that uh young people i think my impression is that they don't they don't have hobbies anymore Same. so so they don't know the art of collecting it's really important to oh know how to collect things um this is going to I mean, segue into our conversation about japan yeah and yeah i mean to know how to find things yeah how to the search yeah how to research and how to locate and how to um categorize and all i mean i'm a, I'm a, I'm a great collector of things so i collect magazines i collect um I mean, i'm in my studio now and it's tell I'm me about everything like, you collect what else magazines well, I'm a, I'm an enthusiast of 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 cars, automobiles. Oh, uh, oh no, that's going to be a whole other podcast. <laughs> oh no. Okay, yeah. we'll, come, we'll circle back to cars. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge I'm a huge too, auto, me auto too, fan. Me too. Yeah, and so everything around uh, certain certain cars, I I'm just uh, Mercedes. Well, no, more so Porsche. I'm, okay, I'm really okay, a okay. Porsche. I mean, I've, I've owned nothing but Porsches okay. ever since. And, uh, and so, You're a Porsche guy. Porsche guys are yeah. Porsche guys. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to, I used to, I developed a way of collect. I mean, I used to collect strange things when I was a kid. I used to, I, I used to want to learn karate and kung fu. Okay. Um, and my mother would never, she would never agree to that because you know, uh, it was just you know, and, and I and I'm gonna get hurt. Yeah, of course. And, and, and so I, I used to um, like tear out these little advertisements that used to come in TV guide. And I used to, 
And I used to sit him around the house where I knew she would be, where she, <laughs> and, and she would, and she would, and she would discover this this ad that was torn out of the out of the out of the magazine. It would be oh sitting there, you know. And I, and I, and I did this for like about for for like a year or so, and and then eventually it developed into collecting ads of karate oh, ads from magazines, oh. and I have thousands of. Them. <gasps> thousands and thousands of just of these ads where you uh, oh would uh, learn karate and kung fu and, and all this stuff and 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 um this thing you know you're going to tell me you collect cuckoo clocks i did or uh, not cuckoo, not <laughs> not a cuckoo clocks but when i when i moved to chicago i um got into art i really uh got into art deco when i when i moved there okay and uh, you know, I wasn't a kid; I was an adult. But 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 they had all these You're great. Still, ba- still basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they, they You're had, an adult. They, technically, you're an adult. But. Yeah, I'm not, technically, I'm an adult. Yeah, but 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 they had these great turn of the century '50s uh, uh, antique shops all over the city, and I I of course you know was heavy into furniture to uh, to to uh i mean I, st- I still am actually and uh moving to miami just in in playing this uh attraction to art deco mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just a different style here i see on some uh, of the purpose lay, uh, purpose maker artwork yeah i mean it's yeah i mean it's, it's, kind of yeah, it was, it's, yeah women. and i i studied i studied I, st- I started studying it then back in the in the mid 90s and then I just picked it back up again, just recently studying our Art Deco and studying the connections to you know, you know ancient Egypt and looking at Detroit, looking at uh, places in the Midwest. And so, so I'm, I'm actually in the midst of re- researching it now for a project that I'm, I'm going to work. But, um, but it started, started in Chicago. And um, so all the things around Art Deco, I have a lot of collection about those things and just skateboards i mean i used to skate when i was a kid and got got pretty far i was on a team and was represented by a a, a, a wheel company in in california but so i stopped skating but i continued to collect key, uh skateboards so i'm like right now i'm i'm looking at a an old alva tony alva oh yeah I and i got a, a bunch of z flexes and a some Stacy Pereltas, and uh, I'm looking at the collection of trucks and pads. I was, I was the worst skateboarder in history. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted it so bad. I loved it so much. I, all my friends were skaters, and it was the, it was the right time. It was like early '80s, and I yeah. had, a, I had a Jeff Phillips board. I had, I was scared. That's the problem. It's the oh, cardinal oh, sin. Yeah. The card oh, yeah. of a skateboarder. I yeah, you scared. cannot be. You cannot be. I had it, this one ledge in my parents' basement. I'm, I'm not joking. It was like eight inches tall, and it was like Niagara Falls for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I seen that. Actually, I, I seen that. And, and, and when we were kids, we used to. We were conscious of that. We we were conscious that you know you must have this first achievement. You you must get air, or you must mm. you must do something to to break the fear you know and some yeah. and some of and, and some of my friends my childhood friends could never do that so they so they never could be in bowls and pools and things like that they they, oh. they were just too scared yeah. but 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 me and a few other friends we were kind of crazy so we and that way of thinking really carried into a lot of electronic music situations i mean 
I mean, I had no fear of going to Europe, going into Germany, going into East Germany, going, you know, just strange. I had absolutely no fear when I was a kid of, of hardly anything. Uh, and I still don't, actually. And, and that comes from skateboarding, actually. It's interesting you say about collecting. I think the search for something, the wanting something, the not having something and planning and strategizing about acquiring it. I don't know how exactly I segue into Japan on this, but I know I always think of you and Tokyo and maybe because of the CD you did years ago. First time you go to Japan, you're hit with that collector <laughs> culture, that connoisseur culture, the attentiveness to such a level, it's like you've arrived to the mecca mm. of that. What was the first time you went to Japan and, and was that your feeling and how did yeah, that was, relationship it was, start? It was definitely, yeah, it was definitely the, the feeling. I mean, it was a... Uh, it was, uh, I mean, you know, it was that ride from Narita into Tokyo. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. And, you, and you immediately notice you're not really in the same, you know, you're not in a normal place. I mean, you no. you notice, the first thing you notice. Your brain, your brain feels <laughs> you are is, somewhere else. This is yeah, not like everything else. Yeah, the scale of the windows yeah. are different than say a building you know the, the the you you notice that things are much more condensed much tighter the 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 the, the amount they have the lack of space there's just a lack of space in in japan and and in tokyo and if you're going to collect something it really has to be the right thing because you just don't have the space and if you and if you're into oh, yeah, something I know, I never you really have that. to be into it and you really it was like going to like the moon it was like going to another planet going to japan and it was like um and also and then all the clothes fit you uh yeah yeah it was. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a little guy like i remember first i'm like oh you have my size oh everything's my size okay yeah okay. yeah yeah it's just it's just overwhelming actually and yeah. and you just get exhausted because there's so much to choose from and there's so many things that you can just you know it teaches you to dig deeper to research to their magazines that you can look to see oh and you can God. study and all types of you know going going to a bookstore is like <laughs> it's like it's just incredible and and then you come back to europe you come back to america and caveman. it's like yeah caveman land <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know you you just get a better idea of of um uh the level of understanding about how serious people can be about certain things and music is, was was one of them and you know you just fall into these things and I'm so happy that you know that I you know could be like that could could have a life where I could go to Japan and and you know and do that do you remember a record that made you think I could make records you know from more from production angle something that, that where it clicked like okay not just DJ, no. not DJing no. production. No, 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 no. I never, uh, no, I was more interested in making music. I, I've always been interested in making music more than making records. Mm. Ah, okay. So, I mean, I love, I love, I'm obsessed with the idea of making something from nothing. Mm. I mean, let me get an example. Like, like the other day, I just took a piece of white paper from a printer and just started trying to make this piece of paper as a art piece as much as I possibly could. And then taking, just taking photographs of it. 
that that's kind of common. I I I I typically do things just to see how far I can go with. That's great. And you just do that just daily or just randomly, like yeah, just 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 I, I do a lot of stuff like that just because. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I collect things. So I, 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 we've established I, that. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a, I have a part, I have a library here and in, and in part of the, in one of the corners of the library, I've just collected solid red obscure artifacts for about five years now. And most, <laughs> mo- most are just from travels. Like I, I, I travel and I, and I see something that is, an obscure, an obscure, solid red artifact. How did that start? That particular one. How did the How did the decision for the solid red start? I typically, whenever I like, I have a pretty, it's a pretty extensive lot library here of, of stuff, uh, of books uh, that I do research in when I'm looking into you know um, ideas for albums and stuff. And I thought that this room should be more than just books and periodicals and it should it should it should have something that would make me feel a certain way that maybe when I go to the studio which is in another house on on this property I might be influenced by the intensity of the color red Mm. so I started so I started with with (laughs) with um with 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 one piece that I found, and then uh, and then and then I bought a, like a, a shelf, like a like a, you know multi. Got obsessed with this idea, so I'm always looking for solid, obscure, solid red artifacts for this uh, collection I know, of. Pieces. I know what to get you for your birthday. <laughs> and um, and it it, it 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 varies from art pieces to pieces that I've just found in secondhand shops or in the garbage or but things that are solid red and obscure. In other words, if you look at it, you can't really tell what it is. But that's that's not really important. The idea is that someone took time to make a shape out of something and then painted it red. I don't know if, if I classify myself as being an artist. I, I don't know, and I really don't care. I think it's important to exhaust certain curiosities. Then when I turn to music, I may think about these red artifacts, or I may think about this piece of paper and these photographs that I took of it. In real terms, like when you put all that into your, let's say a record or your, well, all, everything you do, and then you find yourself, let's say on tour, playing a random festival somewhere, did you over the years, did you ever feel like a conflict or a, a divide between what you were doing as a DJ? Like what was actually occupying the time, those performances? Did you ever feel yeah. a, a tension between that and the artistic yeah, intention? You know, is that? Yeah, of course. Always. Yeah. Always, always. right? Okay. So I'm yeah. not crazy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Always. And how, how do you navigate that? Well, it's like, it's like handing someone a handful of jelly beans and they don't want the black ones. They just want the pink ones and the yellow ones and the green ones. You know, uh, you, you, you know, you, you, you sneak in so, a black one. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, you don't put, you know, you know, you, you know, you don't pull your hand away when there's only black ones left. You keep your hand extended out because, you know, these are, these are good too. You just need to try it. That's that basically sums up pretty much almost every time I play. I mean, it's I mean, I have music that I would like to play, and there's and there's music that I should play. 
And there's a combination oh of God, that's the, but you know what? I've interviewed people. I talked to some people where, you know, the, the gap between what they want to play and what they, what they do play is, has narrowed for whatever reason. And there's other people where it seems to be more complicated. Well, maybe, maybe their, maybe their uh, in- intentions are different. I mean, maybe they, they would prefer to be loved and adored as someone that plays the, the type of music that makes everyone happy all the time. Mm. Um, maybe that's more important than playing something that would teach or show people something a little bit different. And so, um, you know, it, we don't, it, dance music doesn't need to be so academic. You don't need to, it's not necessary to always have to teach someone something all the time. It's not, it's not really a point. Sometimes people just want to have fun and it's completely okay. I think it's, it's all right. So you have to be kind of tactful and very crafty about slipping certain things in at certain times. I mean, uh, you have to find your tool, you know, you have to, you know, you have to have your ways of, of slipping things in to make them notice it. And maybe they might like it. And maybe the artist might sell some records and get paid or something, you know, I mean, you have to, you have to uh, know your craft and know when to do things at what time. And that's the job of a, of a DJ. You know, you have to figure all that out within a couple of minutes. You know, you know, you know, sometimes I'm playing things I really would not prefer to play. I wish I could play something else. Really? You know? I want to know what's, I want to know what's Jeff Mills's version of that. Like what's a record you, like, I want to know a record you play that you really didn't want to play. When I used to travel with vinyl records, you know, I used to carry around records that weren't, to be played, but they would be to remind me of certain things. So I would carry around James Brown records and sign my record box during the whole rave era. Um, I, I, would, I, would, I would carry around funk, Funky Drummer. I would carry around, you know, uh, Soul Sonic Force looking for the perfect beat. I would carry all this stuff around, not, not to be played, but to remind me to keep it funky, keep it this, keep it that. And when I, when I play techno, um, I'm thinking about James Brown. I'm thinking about keeping it on the one. I'm thinking about Art Blakey, Jazz Messengers. Out, you know, I put jazz albums in my record box. I would, I would, I would put things in there that when I'm flipping through records, I stumble across it, and no one would see this. Only I would, I would see it, but it would make me think. So you, all through the '80s, you're doing radio shows. You're obviously you grew up with hip hop, with with jazz records with funk records with everything do you ever did you ever miss playing those records yes i still do you still miss it i wish i could break down a techno party and just play yeah why can't you i mean i know that sounds stupid but well (laughs) i at least like to know that you miss it i mean because because the times that i have all hell broke loose like what happened tell me oh literally the promoter said i ruined the party (laughs) And, <laughs> You're like in Italy and the people, Italy at five yeah, and, morning, and the people, the people just got so upset. They just stopped dancing and they just, it was just a chaos. And, and it was just, it was just a disaster. And that's when you realize how conservative it is. Uh, yeah. Techno became the, 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 these rules and even you, even a pie, even, even one of the <laughs> originators can't break the rules. No. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a big crisis. And um, after a while you just, Look, I'm not paying to get in. I'm being paid to be here. And in the end, in the final decision, the people will get what they what they want. 
So you're not wow. allowed to you're not allowed to cut from the bells into salt and pepper. No, no, I I, I don't ever want to have that type of conflict <laughs> with with the people. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not there to fight with the people. You know, if I want to hear that, I'll go home and listen to it myself. And and, and I think that 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 the culture of dancing and the dance floor ethics the rules. have changed as well. I mean, let me give an example. When I was young, you don't walk across the dance floor. It's disrespectful to do that. You dance across the dance floor mm. because for the people that are dancing on the dance floor, you don't want them to feel as if they're in your way or you're in their way. So you, you blend in by making your way across the dance floor by dancing across the dance floor. That's gone. You also don't take someone's picture. You certainly don't stand there <laughs> and take someone. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, yeah. If you want to, if you want a, a memento of the night and you want something quick, you know, you do it quickly, but you don't, you don't stand on the dance floor. Thing, things have changed. Uh, and the dance floor is not really the dance floor. It's an area where the people are. Do you dance? Uh, I used to. Yeah, that's what I- <laughs> Yeah. Like when's the last time you, when, when they let you out of the cage and you were free to dance, uh, did you used to dance? Uh, well, I, you know, I used to party, you know, I used to, you know, I was like a house hit. I mean, I used to, yeah, of course. I mean, you can't, you can't really understand music unless you dance to it. A hundred, but a hundred percent. Do you dance in the studio? Well, I don't dance, but I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I mean, any producer of dance music, you you must know what you what you're making music for. You know, you must you must know. Uh, you have to know how to. You have to know rhythm. You know, that's for sure. You. Well, maybe 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 we we take it for granted, but maybe there are some producers that can't dance. I I, 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 I don't know, I but think, I mean, I think there are. I think there are. Yeah, I have, I have, yeah, well, I have, that's, I have a bad that's, feeling. Well, that's 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 not a good thing. I mean, I I, I, I mean, you know, you have to know body movement to know how to understand if the music is effective will it be effective or not you know you're not just putting beats together because they sound good they have to feel good there is a a a range there is a way that you produce the music in a way so because the body you know has to react to that and so you know there needs to be pockets in it like you said and you know there needs to be things that are emphasized because you know that you know, you know, to dance, you got two feet and two arms and, you know, you sway and, and, and there's a rhythm and you need to stay in your spot, but you need to get down. And, and you know, I mean, there's, there's all these things that, that you need to think about when you're making dance music and making dance tracks. And, and on the other side of that, there's also, not from a physical point of view, but then, then there's also a mental thing that you need to think about how people are thinking you know, what makes people feel as if they might think they're in outer space, for instance. So what are the elements that you need to put in this track to make people feel that way? This is one I admit you've thought about and I haven't. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm just using it as an example. Yeah, I mean, no, 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 I know. I know. But, you know, you have to create some type of equation. You're crafting these things. It, it takes It takes craftsmanship. You don't just take a few few loops here and put a few sounds there and uh, you know, oh, that sounds like this and okay, that's good enough. And I'm gonna put it out as a record. 
there's a, a deep understanding of the destination of, of where it's supposed to get to. Well, I mean, you have to, you have to not only know how to dance, but you have to know how to dance to the point of a natural high. And you, and you, and you need to know what it takes to get someone there. Yeah. So a certain type of repetitiveness mm. gets you there a certain, you know, you have to learn, know how to configure the music in a way or configure the sounds in a way that the list, that the person begins to, ignore it in a way that yeah. you, you you lose yourself in the sequence of the music so that you, your mind can then concentrate on something else. It, it's really an art to, and, and you have to know, you have to do that yourself. You have to know, you have to listen to the music yourself and, and test it on yourself. Yeah. And music and artists are effective. Those ones that are effective, your Todd Terry's and, you know, your, your, your Louis Vegas and these guys, they they know what they're doing. You know, they know how long it takes for someone to feel something. Two yes, minutes, exactly. two and a half minutes. And it takes years. It takes decades to know that. I mean, Joe Cusell, if you want to learn something about balance and sounds and how to use volume and level to, he is just a master at that. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, he, he's like a walking textbook of, I mean, you, you see it in his DJ sets, how he uses volume. It's just, it's so masterful. It's, I've never seen anyone do that. And it's such a simple thing. But if you were to take some of what he does and applies that to your composition, you can then understand that volume is not just to hear something. It's to make something, someone feel something. Hot rumor is that you love Sade. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, come on. I mean, really, come come on, man. She's incredible. Who who isn't madly in love with this woman? Come on. Yeah, okay. Well, a friend of a friend told me you love Sade. I mean, I mean, come on, men, women, it doesn't matter. Look, pets, dogs, everybody's in love with Sade. She's got it all lined up. Yeah, look, I don't don't even want to ever meet her because I don't (laughs) want to be uh, disappointed if she has a shitty, shitty attitude or something. <laughs> I don't even want to meet her because it's so intense. Who doesn't, man? I mean, that's, that's an easy question. On my original questionnaire, which we didn't follow, like you get to invite three people from any period, it doesn't matter, alive or dead, and they come and they're hanging out with you. Who you invite to the party? Oh, I don't know. To, to, to one of my parties or to a party? Yeah, to one of your parties, but I mean, you're not just working. Like, you can hang out, you could talk. Um, like, you don't have to be nervous. And they're not going to ask you questions in the car on the way to the show. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. I suppose. Hmm. Come on. Because, okay, I have to tell you, I'm not. Tony Hawk. No, no, no. I'm not fully satisfied with the level of parties and i wouldn't want to oh shit this is a good answer like you don't want <laughs> no, parties wanna, aren't I mean, good enough for your guests yeah the, party, yeah the parties are not good enough to, <laughs> to, to to invite arthur c clark or you know they're not good enough but the party is good enough for this for this thought experiment i've never been to one. Oh shit really no not one never. no not not a single one Come on, not one? What's the closest? Uh, the closest maybe it might have been Berlin in the early days, maybe. Trezor? Uh, no, maybe the Everk. I mean, one I, I stepped into it and it was just, 
really another world. Tell I mean, me, tell me, and, tell me more. No, no, it, it's just, I mean, I was, I was, I think maybe, maybe it might've been one of the first times I was in, in, in Europe. I think Mike and I went and. That was and, the power station, right? That big. It was at the power station. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I, I, and I just remember walking through the door and it was just strobe light. That's all there was. <laughs> And the, and, the, and the music was just pounding and you couldn't, it was just those two things. It was just pounding music and strobe light. And I just remember that. And, and every party, every party, I measure by that now. Wow. So I, I, I want to open the door and I want to walk in. I, I want to feel as if I'm in a completely different dimension. And every party I go to, I want that to happen. Yeah. But I don't I, I don't see it. It's, too, it's typically too bright. People standing around taking pictures. Why do you think that's the closest you came? That initial feeling in Berlin at Everk, whatever, 91 or whatever it is. Why is it so hard to, to get to where we want to get? Because I think now there is a certain way to do certain things that works and that's what, it, and it's just so comfortable to do that. And so everyone, and there's a lack of creativity in electronic music because there's a lack of artist, artistic thinking people. There's a, there's a shortage of that. If you did open that door and you are at that party, who's your VIP guest? You said Arthur C. Clarke. Well, I mean, I mean, I've, I've had conversations with some astronauts and they are very unique people. They, they've seen things that we will never see, you know, mm-hmm. they are, they've experienced something that have changed them. You only have those experiences if, if you are lucky, like an, you know, if, not lucky, but if you are like an astronaut or you are like someone who has experimented with, with drugs or, you know, you, 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 you found a way to uh, escape from this reality into something else. And I think it would be those people that, if, if we if we could somehow create that in the in this music dance scene, it would be those people that have already experienced that that I would like to invite because I would like to match up to see how far we are from the truth of it. So it would be an astronaut. It, it, it might be Buzz Aldrin, who uh, has traveled to another celestial body, who um, has traveled through the darkness of space, who has seen things with the naked eye. So his comment about what he's looking at would be very important to those that, like myself, who has not. So it's about measurement, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it, it would be those type of people, not, not uh, you know, Elvis or, you know, <laughs> Michael, Michael Jackson or, you know, Prince. Don't worry, because yeah. everyone else picks Prince. So he's going to enough parties. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it wouldn't be Prince. <laughs> It might be Sun Ra. Okay. Someone like that. It would be someone who who can who 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 has been elevated beyond the world that we live in now. And that and that who is showing signs that they are looking back from that elevation. You know, one thing, first of all, just for the record, if you wanna if you wanna give the world like a one-year warning and make posters and flyers and warn everyone that you might do a party where you throw down a James Brown record <laughs> and I'm, I'm first in line. I'm, I'm there. It's sad. Huh? I think I would be, I would, I would be depressed even making that poster, you know, if I had to do that. The so, fact that you had to warn people. 
If I had to, yeah, give them. Yeah, but I mean, look, let's. You know, we're in a pandemic. It's almost over. Let's let's. uh, Hopefully, people listening to to this radio show, you know, had has used this time to think differently. Ask more of your DJ, of your party promoter, of your record label. Not you don't need to to demand, but ask more for more creativity. I really could talk to you forever. And also too, I got to say, I know it's always, it's, it's always a lot, but I just want to give you a real thank you because uh, there's not many people in my life where I, I actually think, had I not, had I not seen you play that time and I had not gotten to, it, it really made an impression on me. And uh, I don't think I'd, I would still be here. I'd still have a career, but I think it'd be very, uh, I, very, it would be very different. I really do believe that. Yeah. I apologize. I think that's the why they don't, they don't let 12 years old kids. Don't you see? I'm still chasing, I'm, I'm chasing an impossible dream. I, on, be, on behalf of the team of the limelight at that time, uh, Arthur Weinstein and, 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 and repeat, we apologize to you for the. Oh, repeat. That. <laughs> I brought, I booked repeat to play in Montreal. Ah, okay. I, I, I paid him $500. He was living, I think at his mom's house. It was the first time I booked a plane ticket in my whole life. I went okay. to a travel agent with cash. No one had a credit card. I mean, no one, <laughs> no one knew what a credit card was. And we brought Peter DeMarco to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was Great. a good DJ. I liked him. Yeah. Good, good, good DJ. Great friend, you know? And, uh, Oh, he's a great yeah. friend of yours. Yeah, we we were good friends. We're, What's, he doing? We were, What's he doing now? He he stopped he stopped DJing and was working on Wall Street for a little bit. I think he was a trader for a while, and uh, and then he got kind of got back into DJing, and then I think he was working with uh, uh, the guy from Industrial. Uh, oh, Lenny D. Yeah, he was working with Lenny for a little bit, I think. And I, I I'm sure he's still around. I'm sure Pete's still around somewhere. Did you ever have a favorite DJ? Uh, I mean, in my youth, yeah, I had lots of, I mean, I had lots of, uh, lots of DJs. I mean, who's the uh, name, name that comes uh, to mind? Uh, Larry Levan and Frankie Knuckles and Ken Collier. They, they were all friends, you know, and they, and they were all like a clique, you know, they, they, they all knew each other. They all traded music. They all stayed at each other's houses. They all traveled to, to New York, Chicago. So that clique of DJs, I, I was, I was quite, um, Fun, like many other DJs from Detroit. I mean, you know, they weren't a group or anything, but but they but they all knew each other. They were all very very. I mean, there should be a documentary about about yeah. about them and how they were creating a new generation of DJs and and this music that they, they were that they were spreading all over together consciously. They they were all conscious of it. I'm a follower of of that of that level of. Um, of, of, of DJing and uh, I, I come from that school, but then I also come from a um, more street, more hip hop, um, more rougher uh, side too. Also, that's what I lo- see. That's what that's what I love. That's <laughs> one of the things I love. That's what I hear in your in your shit always. You even hear it. You hear the little the little yip 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 the little samples. The little yeah yeah. I mean, I love it. Was, it. it, was, I love it, it. was much much more more. It was it wasn't had nothing to do with Derek and all those you know. It was, and then, and, and then I also come from a more sophisticated black urban type of way too, where it was more, more elegant, more, you know, I, I, I say chic because that's one of the most um, 
recognizable styles of music. But I uh, but I also come from that type of uh, very very sophisticated uh, black urban dance music from the seventies and the eighties too. So. Um, before it was called progressive, it was just all black music. So this post disco early, you know, I, I, I have a lot of knowledge of that, of that stuff too, because I'm, I'm that, I'm of that, of that age. So I have, a, I have a lot of memories and a lot of occasions and a lot of things to use in applying to music. You know, I, I come from, I mean, I love fusion jazz. I mean, I'm obsessed with fusion jazz rock from the seventies. So mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I was just listening to Chicago before this conversation. I was listening to uh, the band uh, Chicago. Yeah, the band Chicago and uh, their, their early works. And look at you, I Jeff. Do- Jeff, you're Jeff, you're a go man with a shelf full of red obscure objects. Listen to Chicago skateboards yeah. everywhere. Yeah, just like yeah. that. <laughs> you're a disaster. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's fun though. I mean, it's, it's a dream. It's, I'm, I, it's not a disaster. It's a dream. If I were a kid and I was I was around my stuff, it would just be it's like a, it's like an amusement park, you know. Well, imagine if you saw yourself now, all with like the situation when you were like ten. Oh, I would. I I could not mission accomplish. Well, we were pretty interesting ten-year-old kids, you know. Um, even you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make this another four-hour-long interview. But I, I grew up with a pretty interesting group of kids. They weren't your typical kids, so you know, we all it was. You had plans. Family, okay, quickly, quick, quickly. Hey, my, tell me, tell know, me. My tell family, me. You know, my family in Detroit. We moved from one side of the city to the next, and and in this new part of the city, over on the close on the west side, we moved into a neighborhood where there were a lot of other kids, but they, and, and they were all young boys like my age. Right. So it didn't take very long to to connect with them. So, you know, you have these kids. We're all around the same age. And we, we, you know, we didn't have any money. We didn't we, you know, we were, you know, kids with nothing to do and just but so we became at one point we became very, very creative kids. Very, very, I mean, we were like building things or we were yeah building or inventing I mean like, I mean in one in one kid's basement we created a whole city made of cardboard a whole city I mean literally skyscrapers streets avenues uh I mean I mean it was to the most of our abilities with as 12 year old kids and then you know that we reached a point where there's there's nothing more that we could do for the city. So we, we begin to create chaoses. So we burn buildings down and then, <laughs> uh, and then we, <laughs> and, and we would, and we would create like a flood and we would, so we would pour water and then we would see how the water would, you know, and then we would rebuild buildings and then, but I didn't have money. So I would have to take a loan from my friend and then he would want 50% of this property there. And then oh, we would, shit. and then we would rent out to the guys approach a lot of things in this way. So we couldn't just play a game of Monopoly. Yeah, we, we would have to recreate the game of, and people like Alan Oldham, uh, this is this is how I met Alan, would come over to these very complex games of Monopoly where we would go far beyond the rules and construct these very complex uh, uh, ways of, of um, and, and, and this is what we did a kid, as kids, man. So. But by the time we were like 16 years old, you know, we, we were quite, quite different, you know. 
so by the, by the time you know by the time I got around to music, it was uh, with a different mind of how to approach and underground resistance and all these things. We yeah, you know, we didn't even we I, we didn't even get to you are and Mad Mike. Yeah, I mean, you're really in the habit by already at a young age of really conceptualizing and thinking things through and developing and yeah that that started at a very very young age i was thinking about it today when i was going through the catalog all the records like all the little things of of run out of notes in run out grooves of records that are deliberately mysterious of catalog number like the the mythology of it It, we take it for granted now but a lot of that stuff was brand new at the time and it was people's first exposure to it you can look in hindsight, you can track back to see the things that made a difference and the things that did not. When you started with the labels and stuff, was there any inspiration? Like, did you look to things like factory records? No, no, no. It was, it was Motown. And it was Motown. Okay. 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 Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, if you are in, yeah, if you're, if you're in music and you're in Detroit, there's no escape. You, 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 because they were so successful and, 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 and the remnants of Motown is everywhere in Detroit. So, you know, you I can speak. I can't believe I said factory records. records. Obviously it's Motown. What an idiot. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what was, so, yeah. why would you, Motown's in your backyard. Why would you look to factory? Anyway, yeah. I mean, I mean, and that was, and that of course started early. I mean, I went to school with Eddie Kendrick's daughter. She, Eddie Kendrick's was in Temptations. And, oh, and, and so it starts, you know, you, it's everywhere. And, and you brought up in that, in, in that in that climate, every I mean, my teacher in high school was you know he, of course he played for Motown and saxophonist in the Duke Ellington Orchestra, and so of course he's going to teach his students to be precise and to be take it seriously, and he's got an ear for you know he knows what he's what he's doing, and so um, so you, he produces musicians. you know because he is one. He's not just a music teacher. You know you meet the guy that builds repairs cars down the street he's not just the guy that builds cars but he actually works for gm Mm -hmm. and he knows what he's doing you know he knows when you break it down like that it's like a perfect storm in a way a documentary or film has to be made and and, in real investigation and real questioning has to be done to really kind of tie everything together because you know like right now you're speaking to me of course if you speak to someone else they're going to have a different perspective but i think a, a real good story needs to be told because there's no there's no other place in the country like Detroit, and it and there's a reason why Motown. I mean, it's not just the automobiles, and there's not because Barry Gordy, you know, uh, was hooked up with this, and he there there are other factors, and there's other things that go into the mentality of being brought up in a city like Detroit. For instance, there were no white kids in my school. There was one Chinese guy and his family had the restaurant and he was my best friend. And I used to go to his restaurant after school to play and he would show me toys from uh, China. Hmm. And, <laughs> and, and then I would invite him over to, to my house. And like my mother was, I, I was a cup, we were Cub Scouts and, and my mother was the Cub Scout. And so um, my mother, you know, was very artistic. So she would have us create these, art pieces. So, and you know, I was like in the second, third grade, you know, and so we would, you know, you learn about people and you learn how to communicate and his English wasn't so good. And, and of course his parents, you know, 
their English wasn't so good, but you, you know, you learn to communicate. You learn to just by asking questions, just by putting yourself in certain situations, you, you might come, you might walk away, you might come away with something. So, you know, um, this kid, his name was Kim. This kid probably had something to do with when I went over to Berlin the first time. And I was very much at ease in meeting people like Mark Anestis and his wife and, um, you know, Morris von Oswald and, and many other people. And, you know, even though you don't speak the language or you know the culture, you, 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 you find a way to talk to people and you forming this, these relationships with certain cities like we did in Japan, in Tokyo. I mean, we, we went there. We did not know. No, none of us knew Japanese. <laughs> you know, you find ways to connect and you meet people and you talk and you I kind of forgot about that now, but that was a big, big, big part of the 90s, or maybe for you a little earlier, that idea of traveling with techno, it, there was, you were almost like an ambassador for your city. And, and you would always go through this the same kind of process, you'd kind of meet, and almost like you trade stories, mm -hmm. and you bond over music. And that, I guess also because again, it was against a backdrop where we didn't know as much not right. like now, where you, you don't you didn't know as much about what was going on. You didn't know anything really. You didn't have well, yeah, so well, so you had to go in person and then you would meet and trade stories and hey, I'm from Montreal and oh back there yeah, we have I mean, this. I mean, <laughs> I mean but it would be in the kitchens of people's uh, apartments where you would have the deepest conversations. It wasn't in the, it, it wasn't in the studio, it would be in their kitchen. And in uh, uh, Mark, Mark Ernestus's kitchen, it was it was always in their kitchen, and <laughs> you were always at at their table, and maybe you eat dinner or you drinking something, and it was there where you had the deepest conversations about music or what, and it, it was there that you explained your childhood or your life, and you, you did things. It was always in the kitchens of, of people's apartments, and you bonded. You 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 found common links between there, and I asked some of the deepest questions. Always in that scenario, you know, um, who who taught you to be a DJ? Who, where are those people? Th these type of questions. How did you learn how to make music? What instruments? Where were you buying? All, all types of stuff. Yeah, and you and you would have to remember names. There you have it, Jeff Mills on Last Party on Earth. Now Jeff and I spoke for over three hours. There was a lot I had to cut out, which I didn't want to, and the ending there. While not a natural ending, I thought that was a really nice sentiment to close on, which is just Jeff talking about the power and beauty of conversations, all these conversations that happen when you travel, when you make friends, face-to-face -face contact, and how that helps you grow as a person and as a musician. So I thought it was a nice way to end because, well, that's what we all love, making friends, conversations, and learning. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Last Party on Earth. I know I did, because I love Jeff.